Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I bang or battle our way through the Book of the Dead, dive below the waves with a Griffin's God Complex segment on the ancient god Dagon, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. In a new studio. Oh my god, it feels great. It does feel pretty good in here. I got my feet up. I don't, but... I'm, I'm sitting in the same chair that we record the regular show at. Well, yeah. I guess it was the same chair all along, but in the same spot that mm-hmm. we record the shows at. Yeah, this for, is nice. For those of you listeners that maybe didn't join us for a live Zone of Truth, mm-hmm. we, we basically have to move the entire setup between the main gaming room and studio and my office to do these normally. Yep. And now we've set up a permanent streaming studio in the game room. And drunk and discordedly too. So those back-to-back weekends, we just fuck up your office and then have to unfuck it. It's Which terrible. usually leads to me being just distraught on a Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> when we get drunk and decide we don't want to put it back together, yep. then on Monday morning, I'm like, I kick off a report. I'm like moving chairs. You don't want to uh, hop into an 8 a.m. meeting with like crumpled cans in the background. Oh, it's, it's long past where I just blur my background. Oh, God. <laughs> now that we have the mini case behind mm-hmm. me, I blur my background. I'm not ready for my work friends to see conservatively 150 mi- TTRPG minis behind me. Oh, I would unblur that background, you know? Show them what you're really about. <laughs> you know, I can't. Yeah, I I would come back at you on that, but mm-hmm. like your apartment is all Star Wars posters. So it would be, you know, yes, it'd be as shaming in my work from home environment. I, of course, have a standing desk set up in my kitchen and the camera points directly into my bedroom and you can see a big Star Wars poster and the map of the inner sea region from Pathfinder. And um, I get questions on it frequently. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, let's get this show moving. Are you drinking anything right now? Uh, right now I am. Yeah, I'm drinking a Astra Crush Hard Seltzer. It's delicious. Nice, nice. I am not drinking anything myself. I just finished off a big tumbler of coffee because we got a fun segment coming up where we're going to be doling out some alcoholic beverages, but we are not there quite yet. We got to talk about what you've been up to, Griffin. What have I been up to? Setting the studio. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a couple nights this week working on this. I actually, when you said you put your feet up, mm-hmm. the cameras yep. are all separately mounted from the table, specifically so that when you shake your leg on the table, it doesn't shake the camera. Oh, that's excellent, because I always got that restless <laughs> leg thing going on. Haley was wondering how we were going to be able to make that work. The way we made that work is put another table behind the table. But yeah, beyond that, obviously still deep in one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're maybe episodes, close to episode 600 now. We're in the punk hazard arc. Uh, so it's pretty cool, pretty fun. Nice. And I finally downloaded, I think I had talked about a game called Coromon that I'd been playing. I've been playing it a lot more, and I think it is a very worthy Pokemon substitute if you're one of those people that plays Pokemon games a lot and kind of doesn't know what to play in between when they're released, Coromon is very fun. Nice, nice. How exciting. As for me, 
I'm back on those murder documentaries oh, on Netflix. <laughs> yep. So that's going to be my like next three months. I, I'm back in it hard. So I'm about halfway through the limited run of the John Wayne Gacy tapes. And uh, he did some bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, did. That's a, that's a rough one. Listeners, I think it's great. If you like uh, the Night Stalker one or the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix, definitely check out Gacy. But obviously, major, major content warnings because he did some truly horrific things. But I've really been enjoying that so far. I saw like a Three Mile Island disaster one that dropped recently that I'm pretty excited about. So definitely back on those. Then I'll probably get back to True Blood season five. I got to just keep trucking. So besides that, though, I did finish the Catherine Hardwick director's journal for the original Twilight. So I will be moving on to the Twilight illustrated guide to the series. Then, then after that will be Midnight Sun. I can probably wrap those. Is that it? Is that it? Yes. That's all that there is left. Yeah. I'm saving Midnight Sun for last because it's from Edward's perspective. Can you speed up? Go a little faster. I truly can't. I have a stack of books on my nightstand that's like half a foot tall. I'm reading a ton of Batman comics right now. I'm reading this Star Wars book that I was going to talk about anyway called Brotherhood, which is basically a lead into the Kenobi show that's coming out, which is really dope. I'm trying to read some Adventure Path stuff. I'm reading Book of the Dead. I have a stack of books coming in soonish from Paizo, so like Drift Crisis. Knights of Last Wall, those are all coming in. So for oh, everyone's sake... I am also sake, most of the way through a Junji Ito compilation yeah, so called Deserter. For everyone's sake, I would ask that you take all of that stuff and push it off your nightstand <laughs> and finish the fucking Twilight stuff. Finish it. Be done with it. Hmm. That is a compelling argument. But are you sure you want me to start the Fifty Shades trilogy soon? No, because you can. You the gap can be between the Twilight shit and the Fifty Shades shit, and that's when you can read all of this other stuff. And then mm-hmm. we should be good for several months at least. We shall see. Probably not going to do that. I do appreciate the feedback, but I've really been enjoying it so far. Yeah. Okay. And since I slipped in that little plug for that Brotherhood book, which just dropped this week as of recording, that's kind of all I've been up to, Griffin. Do you want to do Banger Battle? Obviously. Let's do this thing. All right. So for those of you who are just tuning in and maybe have missed the first couple installments of this, Banger Battle, Book of the Dead edition. The bus rides again. In this segment, Griff and I will be sampling different types of bang energy and rating them based on how many wheels from the bang bus we'd give each beverage. In between samplings, the two of us will be picking monsters randomly from the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Book of the Dead and engage in a spirited discussion about them, ultimately deciding whether to bang or battle. So, how do we rate the bang energy drinks? Well, the traditional bang bus scale is that a typical school bus has six wheels. Regardless of the make and model, this bang bus has only four wheels, so we're sticking to that scale, one to four. I referenced bang energy a few times. We're not drinking the energy drinks, are we, Greg? Uh Uh-oh. No, we are not. We are drinking something that I found at the grocery store that stopped me dead while I was trying to check out because it caused quite a commotion. It is Bang's Hard Tea, Flavor Pack 1. Do these contain electrolytes? Is that what I'm seeing right on the can? Yes. It looks like we got... Sodium, magnesium, and uh, potassium. Yes. So 
I guess that means we're going to be hydrated when we're done with this. That's great. That's, that's all you can really ask for with mm-hmm. the seltzer. Now, oftentimes when we do this segment, or rather when we do this sort of segment where we're reviewing some sort of of seltzer, I will go on the website of the distributor and find some copy to read. Mm-hmm. These are not listed on the Bang website. Oh, that's interesting. Because like, there are cheerleader uniforms listed on the Bang website. There are. You can buy. I'm surprised one of their actual canned products is not on the website. Not on there. So these are 5% ABV, zero sugar, titled flavor pack number one. We got four flavors in front of us. You want to read them off for me, Griff? Yeah. Oh, Steve, these are fakes. They're dangs. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we're going to do it anyway. No, they're definitely bangs. So the first one we got here is Raging Raspberry Hibiscus. Then we have Georgia Peach. <laughs> We've got a Blackberry Blitz. And what's this last one? Ooh, super, superb sweet tea. Mm. I can't wait. So, of course, we're going to be trying these and rating them. But in between, we're going to be selecting monsters from the Book of the Dead. And how are we going to decide which monsters to bang or battle? We're going to randomly select them. There are 50 in the Book of the Dead. And Haley has her hand raised. They're on the website now. Oh, my God. <laughs> you Great. Check. Would you like me to read the product description? 100%. Yeah. Bang, sweet tea is not your standard glass of iced tea. Right? Is this the same thing or is yeah, this different? Yeah. Well, this is this one's sweet tea. Hard tea. Bang hard tea. Ooh, maybe it is only their tea one that got added. Oh, uh, mm. or is it the sweet tea flavor of bang? Because there's an energy one that's sweet tea. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Those maybe it are is that. wild. Yeah. Ugh, I apologize for getting the, the uh, excitement up here, but... Well, we oh. could we could maybe make some copy. Let's see if there's anything interesting written on these. I, don't I mean, the copy for the iced tea was a little whack, so that's what I thought it was. It contains juice. Oh, uh, Haley, these are gluten-free. Yeah, gluten-free. I figured they would be. They've uh, made everything else gluten-free. Why, Full why of not? tremendous electrolytes. All right, before we start sampling these bangs, we're going to do a very, very brief overview of Book of the Dead. So what is Book of the Dead? If you have not heard, I'm going to read the copy here. The dead are rising. This blasphemous tome gives players and GMs everything they need to bring the shambling menace of the undead to their Pathfinder adventures. This book includes tools for fighting against the undead horde, but also options for the players themselves to control or even become undead creatures. GMs will find new tools and haunts, as well as information about the undead-plagued lands of the Lost Omens campaign setting. A massive bestiary section full of undead creatures brings more threats for GMs to use and summonable creatures for players including more versions of classic undead like vampire skeletons. Okay, really should have cut that down. That was too long. Griffin, have you read any of this book yet? Yeah, I read the adventure in it, and I've read most of the archetypes and player options so far. I actually haven't dug too much into the bestiary other than if I was converting Carrion Crown or even mm-hmm. even the neutral interlude, yep. the monsters I've used in both are in here. That's so awesome. the, the Pale Stranger from yep. the neutral interlude, the Goldacos from the neutral interlude, and there's all kinds of variants on liches and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think this banger battle is going to be very fun because there's a lot of really cool undead creatures in here that they have just haven't had time to put into a bestiary yet. Yeah. So as for me... I have read about half of this book. I have read all of the player options. I read all of the stuff about religion and all that fun stuff. I read about half of the creatures, just the descriptions. I didn't get into abilities or anything mm-hmm. because the creatures are pretty cool. Yeah. I was really enjoying them. So honestly, 
we're not doing a full review of Book of the Dead, but I kind of love it. It's yeah. a nice little in-between of cool lore and mechanical stuff. I'm also going to throw out a plug to the skeleton ancestry. Yeah. Holy shit. It's so clever. There's a, a cool feat you can do where you, because you are literally a skeleton, you can take off your arm that's holding a sword give and then reach. give yourself reach by holding your arm in your other arm. Yep. <laughs> Just stuff like that's really clever. I really like it. But it is time to bang or battle. And now that I can see the chat, chat, give me a number between one and 50. First one is the one we're going to use. 42. Okay. Kind of wish we did a lower number. <laughs> you should have said lower range then. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. See a Bry. Griff, I know you have this tome in front of you, so go to page 144. 144 is almost there. Okay. These are all undead creatures, I think. So uh, we're going to be talking about fucking corpses. The Sea of Bray. <laughs> it's an abomination. Ooh. Oh, it's a skeletal druid or wild okay. witch. And yeah, that's a very interesting creature. It's a creature 16. Whoa. Quite powerful. Out of my league. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> You're shooting for the creature threes. Yeah. That's not bad. Because I'm a level one commoner. I'm <laughs> level one commoner. Banging uh, up, as oh, they say. Oh, my goodness. So let's see a little bit about these guys. So. All right. If you look at their abilities, I'll start looking at some of the flavor, because this is not one I read. Sure. Um. Okay. Skeletal druid or wild witch with bones, the texture of stone, and antlers of rock rising from their rough skulls. They are people who have willingly paid the ultimate price to protect the natural world. It rarely goes well for them. That's pretty cool protect Galarian's environment from demonic invasions and undead horrors, otherworldly corruptions, but they are evil. Mm-hmm. Mm. Have you heard about their miasma? It's an no. aura, okay, it's an aura yeah. of disease. Aura uh, of disease. I don't yeah, know how I like that. Uh, a creature that enters the aura or begins its turn there becomes sickened two on a failure or sickened mm-hmm. four on a critical failure. An animal failure plant that rolls a failure gets a crit failure instead. Regardless of the result of the saving throw, creature is temporarily immune to the miasma. So what really interests me here is that they have Earth Glide. And okay. I think that, that, you know, in a sexual context, that mm-hmm. comes in handy quite a bit. Oh, really? Um, if you think about, like, you don't have to fully be in the Earth to Earth Glide. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking, like, you know, they got under there. They have these stone antlers. Oh, so you could really right. you could really do some work. They on could those, service like, your undercarriage yep. from mm-hmm. below while you're yep. standing up. They could basically I, yeah. be any height. I'll tell you what. Yeah, you won me over on that. I'm going to give this one a bang. Yeah. They've got some stony shards, too. <laughs> Tiny shards that break off of their antlers when they attack. So, you know, <laughs> sure. they, they leave a little piece of them with you when, you know, when they're done. Oh, yeah. It's like if you <laughs> leave your underwear at a hookups house uh-oh i'm full of stony shards uh-oh yeah i'm definitely <laughs> giving this a bang stony this shards for weeks easy bang for me and because it's such a superb bang we're gonna kick this off with a superb sweet tea crack that open yeah i'm gonna take a sip they're a little bony for my taste but i think you're better off banging here you're certainly better off with a bang i think so too go ahead and try that this is the sweet tea yes superb sweet tea my oh my. That's really fucking good. <laughs> That's quite tasty. I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting four <laughs> wheels on that thing. But... You gonna try that, Haley? Yeah, that's delicious. So I've had plenty of Bang's regular teas that are not hard. The soft teas, as you would. <laughs> soft um, teas. They're quite bad. I don't really like them, but that works. Yeah, that's a pretty good sweet tea, honestly. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Okay. And, and no booziness to it, really. No. It's, it's pretty good. Yum. All right. Let's do another monster. I see there is another number in the 13. chat. We got a 13. Friday the 13th was just yesterday. So that is apropos. Let's see what 13 is. Oh, boy. Go to page 92. 92. Yeah. This is, this is a good one. Fiddling Bones! Oh, bang. <laughs> I, I've read so much about these, I love these. What do you know about them? Well, they're basically, again, I'm deep into One Piece. They're basically Brooke from One Piece, who is the ship's musician, mm -hmm. and he's a skeleton. Yeah. Basically, it's a skeleton that plays a fiddle, but also, like, has another... You can see in the art, like, he can detach his hands and, like, play music on his ribcage. And it has this shock of hair, surprisingly. Like, this just, like, big, fluffy hair. And their abilities are so cool. Like, they can force you to dance with them and, like, force your movement. Like Even that. if you yep. succeed, your movement has to is halved because you have mm -hmm. to dance oh, <laughs> on so your way. They can just make me keep going after I'm spent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, so, that's good for me. Uh, and they have a destructive finale, which, if that isn't a sex thing, then... Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I don't know what is. So, bang. Easy bang. Yeah, and they're a creature yeah. three. They're a creature three, which right in the sweet spot for me. Yeah, they're really flavorful and fun for a low level party to fight. I think, mm -hmm. well, especially with like a couple other skeletons. Like throw some skeletons in, and then have this guy like doing the fiddle thing, and you can kind of do like a thriller, you know, <laughs> like the Michael Jackson thriller. Yeah, yeah video. absolutely. Yeah, you can kind of do that with this guy. Yeah, I love this creature. The art of this is fantastic. You're right. He appears to have like a floating hand that has some sort of percussive, I don't know, mallet or something in it, and he has jammed the fiddle into the detached forearm while I imagine that floating hand bangs away on his ribcage like a xylophone. I would like to play that xylophone. Obviously a bang. Yeah. We're going to have to drink a bang hard tea for this one. Yeah. What do you think? Blackberry Blitz? Yeah, go ahead and crack right, that open. Oh, yo ho. <laughs> <laughs> that's great four wheels <laughs> ahoy damn i dropped my anchor in that it's a real binx's brew over there hell yeah that's great that's fantastic yeah two for two bang killing it these are really good unbelievable i thought this pack was gonna suck ass no they're this is so far i mean i, I really like the white claw tea pack but these are beating them so far yeah absolutely all right, we do have another number in the chat. That is a 31. We are going to go to page 125. Lorona. This is one I read. This is some sort of creepy adult, usually female, that had a child that drowned. And in death of Lorona's pain manifests as a malevolent desire to drown others, imparting the same grief as they share with the person's loved ones. Mm, you um, had me at mommy. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, obviously big MILF energy here. I mean, ghostly uh, grasp. What's that about? They can grab oh, corporeal can creatures <laughs> despite being incorporeal. Oh, you know um, what that means, baby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, two action whale. I like that. They have constrict. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, let's, let's, what's this funeral touch? Creature touched by Lorona must attempt a DC 29 fortitude save. On a failure, the creature becomes oh, drained one. Drained two on a critical failure. Or increases their drain value by one up to a maximum of drain four. 
Every time a creature becomes drained in this way, the Rorana gains 10 temporary hit points for an hour. Okay. Okay. I mean, the melee attack is the ghostly hand. Ghostly grasp and constrict? It's, it's a bang. Yeah. It's a bang for me. I mean, how can you... Ah, oh, this... I, 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 Jesus. How can you argue with a perpetually wet MILF even in undead? Jesus. <laughs> oh That's a God. bang for me. Oh, boy. Jesus Christ. I don't feel good about that one. Uh, I went there. Next, next bang hard uh, yeah, Let's hop into some Georgia peach after all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's giving strong peach rings um, flavor. I think it's very good. I'm going to go for four wheels again. This fucking slaps. And unless the last flavor completely sucks, there is no way we're not finishing all 12 of these today. Yeah, that raspberry hibiscus, like, I, that can't be bad. Can't I've had bad. other bang Holy stuff that's crap. raspberry hibiscus, and it's unanimously one of my favorite flavors they do. So I'd be shocked. Anyway. What do we got? This is so good. I'm still getting through that Georgia peach. We had a 21 in the chat. That's going to be the final creature that we call for today's banger battle. That's going to be on page 106. And the creature is a ghoul. G-H-U-L. Very close to ghoul, but not a ghoul. Oh, never mind. Sorry. I was on the other page. I thought it was about to be the grappling spirit. And I was like, Bang. oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the grappling spirit has a submission lock. So, yeah. I mean, come on. The legends claim that the gods banished a number of evil, greedy, and gluttonous genies to the material plane in the early days of creation. They were transformed into the first ghouls, cruel and dead, that feast on the flesh of the living. They're greedy and gluttonous. Mm, greedy little guzzlers. Yeah, greedy little guzzlers indeed. But would we bang? Let's see here. I mean, you've got the devour flesh stuff, yeah. so... Well, let me tell you something that immediately stands out here. Change shape, the goal takes on the appearance of a smaller medium hyena. Interesting. Okay. I kind of wish that was just a halfway laugh? thing, not a full transformation. If that was a hybrid form, it'd be a When it's in its hyena shape, it can let out an alluring chitter. Ooh, I do Each like critter that. in a 60-foot mm -hmm. emanation must succeed at a DC-19 will save or become fascinated, flat-footed, and compelled to move towards the goal on the creature. You might have to bang. Well, I'll tell yeah, <laughs> you. You might have, have a choice yeah, you might have I'll much tell you what. Here. I'm already fascinated. That's a bang for me. Is this buttery on bestiality? I, it well, depends. It well, really okay, depends. so I would Does hope, having sex with a kitsune can constitute BCL? I would argue no. Okay, um, well, then same applies. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's the same exact concept, except this one's dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Does it? Is it necrophilia? Absolutely. Yeah, All I mean, these that's, are. Uh, all but these are. This is like a full hyena form. There's no in between. Kitsune is a full cock, mm -hmm. full uh, fox form. So I will a full fox. I will also posit that luring laugh is two actions. Mm -hmm. So this creature in hyena form could do the luring laugh and start bringing me in, but then spend their third action to change shape back into a regular goal. And the the main melee attack is the jaws. So that thing got mouth. Yeah, you know, you know, one one thing that made it just kind of solidifies my bang opinion is mm -hmm. that goals retain knowledge of the elemental tongues. <laughs> it says it right there in the sidebar. You know that's not what it means. Uh, I beg to differ. All right. And the well, elemental tongues, I mean, there aren't many better tongues. That's what they say. 
That is what they say. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. So yeah, bang for bang, sure. Bang, obviously. Yeah, this isn't. This is pretty. Look easy how one. long its fingers are in the art too. It's like, I mean, that's great. Yeah, that they're longer than its neck. I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. Speaking of which, what are what are if there's anything when you when you search elemental tongues? Don't post it in the chat. Speaking of which, we have. A fourth bang. What's the flavor on this one, Griff? This one's Raging Raspberry Hibiscus. Now, this is a flavor that they've done a lot. I've seen this as a regular bang energy. I've seen this as a hydrating vooze. Be interested into seeing how it tastes in tea form. Yeah, once again, fucking great. They've done it Four again. Four wheels on the bang bus. They've done it again. Wow, this is, yeah, this is one of the better seltzer packs. I have to ask, oh, maybe Alani Seltz on a beach... Yeah, I that, gave fours across the board. Yeah, that pack was for great adjustment. As well. mm-hmm. But I think this joins the club. This is perfect score. Yeah, and actually, I think that score. only one got a perfect score from me. I don't think Souths on the Beach got a perfect score from you, if I remember correctly. But it was a five point scale, and I think yeah. I had given one a four. Sure. So uh, very close. Very wow. close, I'd say. I mean, I the, think, so this is our highest rated pack of all yeah, time. The only thing that's going to beat this pack for me is if we ever do the Astro pack. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think these are up there with some of the best. And especially if you're in the mood for tea. If you're in the mood for tea, hands down, this is the best. This is the best alcoholic beverage you can drink. This is better than mixing actual tea and vodka or something. 100% it is. Yeah. I used to drink this drink that I made my first couple years living in Columbus at the pool. What did I call it? I think I called it a Gone with the Wind. Gone with the uh, wind. No, it was Gone with the Liquor. That's what I called it. It was a play on Gone with the Wind. I had this giant bottle that I filled a quarter of the way up with ice. I got to the top of the ice with vodka. Then I did another 50% of the bottle with raspberry tea. And then I topped it off with lemonade. And that until now was my favorite alcoholic tea uh, beverage. Tea beverage. Yeah. These destroy the Gone with the Liquor. These are incredible. Yeah, so this is going to be a very tough choice then. I'm going to break these out, split them up. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think anyone's losing here. No, they're all really good. I, and honestly, I I struggle to pick which was a favorite for me, honestly. Well, if you're deciding, I'd love to get my hands on that raspberry. For sure. That was wonderful. Or blackberry, you mean? Uh, no, the, oh, ras- the, raspberry the Raging hibiscus. Raspberry Hibiscus. Sorry, I should have used the full name, of course. Yeah, sorry. I'm thinking of that one. as I'll, I'll take no. the blackberry then. Okay. And frankly, there's no losers here. I'm going to take Peach. Fine. I will take the superb sweet tea. Want to talk Griffin's God Complex, Griffin? Let's do a little Dagon. Yes. So, Dagon, y'all have heard about him in our mainline carrying crown show. Griffin, you want to give the listeners a quick recap of the role Dagon played in our podcast so far? Absolutely. In book four, uh, the town of Ilmarsh is secret. Dagon worshippers. There's a lot of Dagonic iconography. I guess that that's a word, maybe. It's a long name. Let's, let me see if I can remember it. The Recondite Order of the Indomitable Sea was a church of Gazra and ended up being a big church of Dagon. Mm-hmm. Dagon is also what was worshipped by the scum until the Dominion of the Black came in and swapped them to Shubnagrath worship. Dagon is also the reason that Eclipse left the party. The Sea Sage Effigy was an ancient symbol of Dagon that was, you know, originally housed in a museum in Lepidstadt and framed the beast mm-hmm. way back in book two, but was used by the Whispering Way in an attempt to receive the Book of the Raven in part of a trade. So Eclipse saw the face of Dagon 
as the C-Sage FG is known, uh, and she saw the actual literal manifestation of Dagon in her vision and went insane. I think that's about Dagon's part so far in the story. Yeah. I love that while you were talking about him, I can see the chat very well now, and Haley just typed, fuck that guy. <laughs> talking about Dagon. <laughs> Got me good. So let me talk a little bit about Dagon and his presence in life as we know it, IRL as they say. So Dagon is an ancient deity. We're talking negative 2000 through negative 1600 BCE. So he's an old guy. And more accurately, when we're talking about Dagon, the deity from way back when is closer to Dagan, D-A-G-A-N instead of D-A-G-O-N. It was a god worshipped by the peoples of ancient Syria and folks on and around the Euphrates River. He was a very popular deity at the time, though not too much is known about him. He was regarded as many as a father of gods, so similar in, in practice to like a Zeus or an Odin, and was the national god of the Philistines according to the Hebrew Bible. However, outside of that text, no evidence confirms this. So, of course, I'm going to talk etymology. Dagan was a word that was actually misinterpreted or a name that was misinterpreted as close to a Hebrew word for fish, which probably led to his association as a fish god. When you look at these actual ancient civilizations that worship Dagon, he really doesn't have anything to do with the sea. This led to an erroneous association between Dagan and Odakan a half fish being who looks kind of like you would imagine a mermaid looks and with fishman motifs in Mesopotamian art. So basically historians kind of got it wrong. He's not a fish man and then stuck with it <laughs> and then kind of stuck with it. So now oh, we fucked up. Let's keep it though. Nobody has to know <laughs> pretty much. And it gets quite worse actually. So good when we're looking for some, I, I put this in huge quotes, somewhat more recent, references to Dagon. We look in some of the sacred texts in Judaism and Christianity. He's referenced a few different times in some pretty important moments in the Bible. So when Samson, the mythical strongman in the Bible, topples a temple, that's supposedly a temple to Dagon. King Saul's head was displayed in a temple of Dagon after his death. And when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, they came back and checked on it a few times, and every time that they did, a statue of Dagon in the temple that it was being kept in was like found crushed in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So, since then, Dagon has appeared in many works of popular culture, and unfortunately for the people that actually worshipped him back in the day, he's only really known as based off that kind of biblical account and the associated fish god speculation, not who he actually was. He's not referred to in the ways that the primary sources would refer to them or the modern research to back those primary sources up. Some notable examples of Dagon in pop culture. You have John Milton's epic poems, Samson Agonistus. This is the story of Samson toppling the temple. And then John Milton's Paradise Lost. This is the story of Adam and Eve. 
The ones that you all listening at home are probably most familiar with, though, are the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Two of them have references to Dagon. One of them is called Dagon, and one of them is the shadow over Innsmouth. So quick overviews of what these stories are. Dagon is about a mariner who is lost at sea during World War I and is floating in the ocean and finds this nasty expanse of land in the middle of the ocean that he hypothesizes is actually the ocean floor that had been pushed up to the surface due to volcanic activity. He starts exploring this land, finds a monolith that shows a bunch of nautical creatures and half fish, half men killing a whale. And then a giant, unbelievable, unfathomable fish creature appears. He blacks out and wakes up in a hospital. It is revealed that the story at the end is actually a suicide note. And it ends with him seeing something creepy eclipsing his hospital bed window. And he says he's going to kill himself. So pretty dark. Gee, dang on. It's not going to get any uh, any lighter with uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth. So fun thing about Shadow Over Innsmouth is that it's the only quote unquote book published by H.P. Lovecraft in his timeline. The rest of his stories appeared in compilations and stuff. This was a standalone novel. And honestly, I don't know how much summation I should really do of this, because if it's you listen to our book four, book four, you heard the story. <laughs> yeah. It's somewhat abandoned town with creepy people that's way off in the middle of nowhere. There is a race of of fish people that they breed with that lives underwater close by. The man in question, like the main narrator, is revealed to have been a descendant from those people, very similar to Lyra. And then there's a whole bunch of other parallels. The town originally got rich with fish gold, which we saw in the book. The town's very run down. There's a cult of Dagon there, breeding with the fish people. It's close by the underwater fish uh, city. It's pretty much point for point. What was the book title? It's the book title is even similar, right? Oh, wait, no, that's the Watcher in the Water. Okay, so it's it's not as similar as I thought it was. But yeah, it's basically point for point book four. And I guess just in summary, I do think this interpretation of Dagon currently that exists in TTRPGs is interesting. However, it just kind of sucks that the original deity that was worshipped has been completely bastardized by... Right, and made into like a demon, too. Like, that's kind of shitty if it was like, you know, the... We were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and there's definitely parallels to the Lamashtu story. She's definitely grown into something that's been much more exaggerated, but she was always a boogeyman figure. Like, she was not a good deity. Right, but Dagon was. Dagon appears to have been, and it just kind of leaves like a sick taste in my mouth. I don't really like it, but that's Dagon. Griffin, what's he doing, Pathfinder? Yeah, in Pathfinder, he's pretty much as he is in the HP Lovecraft stuff, so... Uh, he's the demon lord of the sea and sea monsters that dwell in its darkest depths. He's known as the shadow in the sea, shadow lord of the sea, and demon lord of the sea and sea monsters. His realm is in the abyss. He's kind of like in this giant ocean filled with sea monsters in the mm-hmm. abyss. So his areas of concern are deformity, sea monsters in the sea, and his worshippers are kind of desperate or insane coastal dwellers as, we, as we've seen, boggards, heretical sahogwins, scum, krakens, and marsh giants, all of which we kind of saw yeah. <laughs> worshipping him already. He's chaotic evil. His domains are chaos, destruction, evil, and water. 
His favorite weapon is a trident, and his symbol is a gold disc inscribed with sinister runes around an open octopus eye. Blue and gold are his colors, sacred animal is a fish. Dagon began as a clipoth in Pathfinder. Oh, I, didn't, as, I don't think I knew that. As some demons had, and rose to a demon lord. Basically, he was like a mindless sea monster beforehand, and then he became intelligent and infused himself with mortal sin. <laughs> so, cool. He's said to have slain some ancient giant kraken, Kaktora, and that created devilfish by slaying that kraken. Would you give Koktora a bang or a battle? If, I don't know. I haven't seen a picture, man. <laughs> Jeez. He appears as like a kind of like an amalgamation of all of the things that we talked about in book four, like fish, octopus, tentacles, uh, the works. He is the lower body of an eel, a horrific face, four tentacles in place of arms. He's one of the largest demon lords. He's 35 feet long. Big boy. Big boy. And, you know, We've gone over his worshippers. <laughs> but, but the cool thing is that Dagon is statted. Oh, cool. So Dagon has a stat block. He's a CR 28 creature, which is pretty high. I think that's uh, on par with maybe one level below Sharon of the Horseman, the Horseman of Death. Is I think he was CR 29. Yeah, I think that is correct. Um, and put him stronger than the other Horseman. Stronger uh, than Haster, too. Stronger than Haster, which kind of makes sense. Pastor's kind of like the old ones I feel like are weaker than in some senses than some of the evil deities or at least less known and less you're not going to fight them as much right and so right. like being a great old one versus being a demon lord is kind of like for the most part in Pathfinder a little bit of a step down so Dagon is Huge, which is surprising. He's not gargantuan. He's got a ridiculous, frightful presence. His senses are uh, detect good, detect law, true seeing, which is pretty common for all of these CR-28 demigod things. He's constantly got on resurrection, freedom of movement, DR-20, cold iron, epic, and good. <laughs> He's immune to ability damage, ability drain, charm effects, compulsion effects, cold death effects, electricity, and energy drain, petrification, and poison. He resists every other element by 30. He's got 39 spell resistance. Ridiculous attacks, like all of his attacks are at a plus 40-something. He's got a bite and four tentacle attacks. He's got a breath weapon. He can command all aquatic creatures. He can constrict stuff with his tentacles. He's got fast swallow, so you're going to get swallowed whole by him. Okay, that's a bad um, Yeah, <laughs> right. So as far as his spell-like abilities, talked about some of his senses, but he's always got speak with animals for aquatic animals on. He's got an unholy aura on. At will, he can astral project, which I thought was kind of interesting. He can do that whole tether thing into the astral plane. Yeah. Um, he's got blasphemy, control water, control weather, desecrate, greater dispel magic, greater teleport, shape change, telekinesis, unhallow, and unholy blight. Then for three times a day, he's got <laughs> quick and greater dispel magic, insanity, which we've seen, summon demons, symbol of insanity, and vortex. And then once per day, he's got storm of vengeance. Which is I like that. Which is what that orb of storms that you guys found in um, in the neutral interlude can do like once per month. <laughs> he's got time stop and he's got tsunami. Oh god! And anything. So most of these little abilities have a little asterisk next to them, mm -hmm. which then says below 
Dagon can use the mythic version of this ability if he's in his realm. So what if you so if you're in that the part abyss? of the abyss, yeah. yeah, he can just use all of that ridiculous Oof. shit. He's got too many fucking feats for me to discuss. His breath weapon is a sixty foot cone of inky blackness. Underwater, the cone manifests as black ink, while above water, it manifests as a thick cloud. Creatures in the area have their vision obscured as if they were in complete darkness, and dark vision does not allow someone to see through the ink or smoke, but true seeing does. It persists for 1d4 rounds, but dissipates in one round in areas with aquatic currents or winds. <laughs> you need to succeed at a DC 41 will save or gain two negative levels as your memories and knowledge leech away from this. And if you're in the cloud, you need to succeed at another will save to avoid further loss and getting poisoned. Not good. His poison is contact poison. DC 41, fortitude save. Once per round for six rounds. It's 1d6 con drain and confused for one round. The cure is three consecutive saves. This is really cool, though. So remember I said he has a quick swallow? Mm -hmm. a transformation ability. So a creature swallowed by Dagon is assaulted by demonic enzymes. Rasping talons and sucking tendrils and vile gases. The start of the swallow creature's turn, it must succeed at a DC 41 fortitude save or be nauseated and must succeed at a DC 36 will save or take 1D6 points of dexterity and constitution or and charisma drain. Once the creature's dexterity and charisma are drained to zero, they transform into a horrifically deformed version of itself that Dagon can then disgorge into the adjacent square as a swift action. The transformed creature gains the half-fiend template its dexterity and charisma return to their normal values, and it's under Dagon's control. Uh, it can be reversed by casting Break Enchantment and Atonement on the victim during the first 24 hours, otherwise it needs a miracle or a wish. And a lot of people have speculated online that this is probably the easiest way to attain the half-fiend template. <laughs> Which is pretty fucking cool. That's very funny. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, just have an encounter with Dagon, get mm -hmm. spit up. You're under Dagon's yeah. control, but you're a half fiend. We'll see how quick you can swallow, you know? You get your, you get your right dexterity and your uh, charisma scores back, mm -hmm. and you're a half fiend. So that's Dagon. That was a crazy stat block. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to fight there. Dagon. I think Haster seemed more manageable than that. 100%, yeah. Suffice to say that his auras alone are just, like, terrifying as well. They have, like, a 600-foot... <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, yeah, it's tough. It's definitely a tough... I mean, granted, he's not, like... He has that DR epic, but he doesn't... Unless he's in his realm, he doesn't have too many mythic-style abilities. Mm -hmm. If he was in his realm, you better be mythic to, yeah. to fight him. But, yeah, if... Um, Otherwise, like a level 20 party is going to have some trouble with this. I believe so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the Griffin's God Complex section for Dagon. Really loved it. I think we're about to move into some questions. Taylor, what do we got? All right. We had some pretty early on ones that we'll start off with. So Eric uh, Ten Law Gnome said, which is scarier to you? Supernatural horror or over the top senseless torture, but still done by normal people. So his examples for the first one are Friday the 13th and Slutterman for supernatural horror. The over the top senseless torture, but still done by normal people. Examples are Saw, Hostile, etc. Or normal people getting drawn to cultish sacrifices like Midsummer. This is a really good question. I think for me, it's the third option. The weird cult stuff. I'm thinking as much of a joke as it was, 
the Nick Cage Wicker Man movie. I remember seeing it as a kid and that first half of the movie being real, real creeped out because this is a, a man that you know is going into a terrible situation and you're just kind of watching this car crash in slow motion. I think of examples, of course, like Midsummer, but Apostle is this same way on Netflix. That's an incredible, scary movie and really got me going. I think of the three, that one gets me the worst. Yeah, I think the torture, if it's believable, sure. is probably the worst one. I don't think it's very realistic to get drawn into like one of these cult scenarios unless you're like, like who the fuck in real life is like some kind of adventurer or like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I work in finance. I'm not like out. Like, this is not a horror that's pertinent to me. Like, I'm not a journalist going out to like weird things. I don't have friends that live in remote Swedish villages. Like, it's not a pertinent horror to me. I guess. And like torture is like mm-hmm. torture is like a dude can come into your house and fuck you up and it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. I feel very much like the the supernatural shit just isn't really that scary. Like what? Um, and the, the cultish stuff, I just don't think like for me, it's not something that's realistically scary, like for me as a person. So I, I think like the definitely the torture stuff is is just something that could feasibly happen. And so by virtue of that is scarier to me. Fair enough. All right, Haley, we got another question. Yes, we do have another question. All right. So we have a a quite a few questions regarding Book of the Dead and Dark Archive. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into that. We also have one totally off topic, but we'll get into the Book of the Dead and Dark Archive. Mm -hmm. So... Jason has asked, before this came out, which book were you more interested in, Book of the Dead or Dark Archive? Uh, That's a tough one. I think Dark Archive, because it has player options, is obviously going to be the more anticipated book, for sure. I want to see how Thaumaturge plays. I want to see how Psychic shakes out. And those two things, just by virtue of the weight they have on the system, far outweigh shit like Skeleton Ancestry. So for me, it's the Dark Archive. The Dark Archive... If it delivers on what it promised is also going to contain adventure content like the Book of the Dead, which is part of the Book of the Dead that I really, really, really liked. I think having that in Book of the Dead makes it a worthy purchase for the average person, too, that doesn't really need the undead slot in. It's Mm -hmm. like, cool, I have probably an 8 to 12 hour adventure that I can run that's pre-written here, which I think is just a huge boon for them to start adding to books like that so i think that's good points for book of the dead but dark archive is supposed to have like that and more which i am just very excited to see that said i think the content of book of the dead is more up my alley just because so much of what is in it is relevant to what i run in first edition so if i was converting the kind of stuff that i'm running in first edition this would be like my bible you know right there's so much stuff in here that i would need to use and that that I can use. I mean, even stuff like there's stuff in Curse that this helps with. Very long-winded way to say I'm more excited for Dark Archive, but I think Book of the Dead was a stellar book. What am I going to do? I'm just going to echo everything you said there. (laughs) I'm more excited for Dark Archive because I think it's going to be more relevant to more players. Book of the Dead obviously is very niche. Like, when are you going to pull out a mummy ancestry? You know? But or uh, I think that's a dedication, but yeah, uh, I, I really, really did love Book of the Dead. I think 
just by virtue of it being a little bit more practical, probably Dark Archive. Next question. All right. So we got a couple paired questions here from Sir Newt. Sure. What is your least favorite undead creature and what is your favorite obscure undead creature? He did add the extra word there in the favorite. So mm-hmm. so my least favorite undead creature to fight is probably a shit like Shadows and Wraiths. I really hate fighting creatures that rely on stuff like Drain to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's a much more limited pool and it's, it feels much more dangerous. But by the same token, they have the incorporeality. They're just a nightmare for low to mid-level parties. And I get frustrated with, with fighting them. I think my favorite, honestly, I've used before is the uh, Pale Stranger, the uh, the Gunslinger Undead. I just think that's such a cool undead creature, like a Pistolero. Honestly, he's like... <laughs> He's kind of like the mysterious stranger from the Fallout games uh, yeah. in a way. And is just a very cool concept for an undead creature. So, like, I don't think it fits into a lot of campaigns, but it's my favorite niche undead creature. Yes. For me, what's my least favorite undead creature? I think you had a lot of really good points with ghouls? that. Ghouls? Is it ghouls? I don't really like ghouls. Um, <laughs> You've had a lot of bad experience with ghouls. Yeah, the funny thing is when they throw ghouls at a low-level party, it sucks. And apparently when they throw them at a high-level party, it sucks too. Um, <laughs> I think I think for real, though, low-level something incorporeal. Yeah. I mean, book one, we were just getting blasted with that kind of shit. Real tough. I also will say that like, if we're talking least favorite from the perspective of Book of the Dead, I'm looking through those dedications or ancestries, whatever the hell what they're called archetypes I don't really see myself ever being compelled to play a zombie PC I just don't think that's interesting I don't really care for it they're just kind of dumb and slow and want to eat brains very unlike myself (laughs) I kind of had the opposite reaction with those I think like the zombie and ghoul and mummy were were probably the only worthwhile ones (laughs) like the lich kind of sucks for casters it's way late, too. Yeah, the vampire doesn't get you even close to full vampire power. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, homebrew that. Well, no, <laughs> I I don't want to homebrew that. And the whole thing is like 2E's game balance is set up in a way that if you want to be a powerful undead, you basically, you, you can't as a player. It mm-hmm. just, it messes with the balance. And their response to that is to just give you these watered down archetypes, which, you know, kind of sucks. It's like, I don't really want to invest an archetype into being a shitty shell of a vampire. Yeah, that's that's tough. I think the other question was, what's your favorite obscure undead? I'm going to go wet milf. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's my new favorite. New favorite. Um, My favorite is the mummy beetle swarm. What? Have you heard of this? No. Griffin's nodding his head. Yes. Yeah. So I only found this when I was looking for a couple different undead back when I did that April Fools. And so I looked through a lot of different undead stuff and I played, uh, we did one Pathfinder scenario where I had a, like, yeah, I had one of those, but Mm -hmm. a mummy beetle swarm is different. It's described as thousands of eerily silent beetles surge forth in a terrifying wave of dark bodies. So it is a swarm. But it does have an aura of despair where if you fail, you're paralyzed for 1d4 rounds. Uh, it's a swarm, so it has swarm defensive abilities. It's a swarm uh, of mummy It also has all the undead traits. 
and it's only vulnerable to fire. So the swarm itself, that's their atta the attack, of course, because it's a swarm, is 4d6 plus distraction and mummy rot. Yeah. Oh, it's really brutal because it's like it doesn't even <laughs> auto hit and you yeah. got to save for mummy rot. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. And um, I do think it's funny because they either come solitary in a pair or in a group of three to six. So imagine that, like having a colony of them. That's a really good answer. Damn. All right, what else do we got? So. We got a lot of questions. Yeah, we have quite Damn. a few questions here. Yeah, so we got another question kind of about Book of the Dead. Eric has asked, do you prefer unique monsters to be released in the back manner of APs or in themed books like Book of the Dead? No, theme I books. I, I fucking hate when they release stuff in the back matter of APs. Absolutely it's agreed. Completely irrelevant to the AP. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I really want the CR25. Like they put demigods in the back of Curse. Curse. in like curse. Um, like, they do. Why, why the fuck are you doing? They this? do the same thing for strange aeons with a bunch of the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah demigods and stuff yeah and it's just annoying because people because then they release all that shit in like bestiary six anyway it's like why do it why i, I will also say there's some real bullshit that they pull too with like ancestries and actual player options because there is a pine tree leshy that you can be as a PC, but the only way you're going to find that is if you dig into the back matter of quests of the frozen flame yeah, like, I hate. I, I, I want to play a pine tree leshy, and now if we're doing the hero lab thing, I got to spend like five dollars to play a pine tree leshy. Get out of here! Yeah. The other reason I don't like it is because then you have to have this other book or mm -hmm. uh, know about it to search it out. Yeah, I mean, you can always archive and Nethys that stuff, but it's still annoying. It's annoying, and then also if you do get the book to look into it and look at it right, the problem becomes that now I have a book of an AP and maybe I don't want to read that AP mm -hmm. and I don't want spoilers or anything, but now I have I have this whole AP book and all I want is like the three pages in the back. <laughs> I, will, I will also say that if you get rid of those and contain those creatures to a book of the dead or a bestiary, that frees up more space to have a longer adventure or more back matter for the adventure, like town details or faction details or something that's very relevant to that adventure and just put the monster with the rest of the damn monsters. You know what pisses me off the most is when, <laughs> We're on a roll now. Is when like half of the monsters in an AP are like Go look at Bestiary 2. Go look at Bestiary 4. And then uh, they put irrelevant shit in the Bestiary in the adventure. Mm -hmm. It's so annoying. It's yeah, like, it's just bad. put the relevant shit that I need in this book. How about that? How about you release another book that has all of that other shit in it? I don't need it in this adventure. It's not a part of this adventure. Just because it's similar to the theme of this adventure does not mean I need it in this book. How about you give me the stat block for the fucking variant ghoul that you put in this book and then said, oh, it's uh, it's in this bestiary, but with this template from this other thing. Fuck that. Put the stat block in the book, man. Haley, next question, please. Okay, next question. Jason has asked, knowing you haven't looked too in-depth at the options, what's the first Book of the Dead-focused character that you'd think of building for a one-shot? Mm, interesting that you say for a one-shot. <laughs> because if we were going to say like our next six book AP, I would definitely say a Kitsune vampire one shot. I don't know. Mommy. The mummy. Yeah. yeah. I think you got to go with like the skeleton ancestry. 100%. Yeah. It's fun as hell. It's so um, cool. Yeah. Skeleton reach build with, <laughs> with one handed weapons. Sounds really fun to me. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if Chris is listening in. I know he's been dying to play a skeleton bard. It's something I'd be tempted to do too, but I wouldn't take it because I think that's something he wants to play. I'd love to play a monk ghoul. Okay. And play around with like how that ghoul archetype role plays. So I think that'd be like one of my higher choices. Yeah, I like that. All right, let's keep it rolling. See a couple more on the board here. All right, we got one more about Undead, and then we have a couple other questions. So Sir Newt has asked, what's your favorite, least favorite trope involving the Undead? I love me a good uh, I love me a good zombie horde invasion thing. I've used it like a ton of times mm-hmm. in, yeah. on tabletop and outside of it. Yeah, I think a, like a Night of the Living Dead situation is one of my favorite tropes. Do you say least favorite? Is that part of mm-hmm. it, too? Uh, yeah, he's got the paired questions today. Yeah, he's really... <laughs> Giving us favorite and least favorite of everything. <laughs> See, what's your favorite food and least favorite? <laughs> I'm really struggling to pick a favorite and least favorite undead trope. Uh, my least favorite is, and it's just because it creeps me out a little bit. I don't like the trope that like little kids can see ghosts. Mm. I it's think used I, all the time. I think I don't love when, oh, I know, I know what it is. The when zombies moan for brains. Oh yeah, that's shut lame. the yeah. fuck up. That's they dumb as hell. Be able to talk. Yeah, I don't think they should be able to talk. And brains, shut the fuck up. Balls. Shut up. No. Yeah. If see, you, I'm fine with that. If you can still talk, then say more than one yeah. word. Say maybe they're, they're, well, they can only say one word. But what they're trying to say is, give me brain. God damn it. <laughs> uh, favorite uh, sexy vampires. Next question. Okay, yeah. I said it was the last undead question, and okay. then immediately Eric asked a question oh, about God. undead. All right, shut up. <laughs> Let's fly through this one. If you did an undead campaign, would you want it to be primarily good or evil? Oh, good, good, good it's a question. It's question. So I- one, one shot evil campaign, good. I have zero interest in playing an evil campaign. I just really... I'd like to spin it up for a couple episodes. Obviously, you saw that in the evil interlude to sustain that for like three to six books. I would get so exhausted so fast. Yeah, I just don't think I'd enjoy it. I'm going to go middle of the road antiheroes. Okay, that's good. I think I like that. I I think that's about as good as you can get if you're an undead character. Mm. Maybe I, I should try and true up closer to that. Maybe if it's not good, like you're doing good things. Maybe you can do be be a little bad. Yeah, I think I think you but. can have like bad methods. And I, mm-hmm. I like the idea of undead characters having kind of like misguided methods because of the way that they they are, because of the way like neg- negative energy affects them mm-hmm. and like how it might potentially affect their thought process and how they would perceive like the greater good being a fundamentally different in a fundamentally different state of being than like living creatures but still being an adventurer where like you're trying to save living creatures. I think that's something that would be interesting to explore. All right. I see three questions up here. One of them is from a month ago and it's from Bippy. He's not here. We're not answering that. Um, we only have two questions left. Oh, why is there another question? I manage these, Steve. Oh, Leave right. me to it. Fine. The, the problem is I can, I can see too much now. Yeah. yeah. Too much. So we give Steve a blindfold. Yeah. Put horse blinders on me. I'll be into it. Uh, next question. Yeah, so Corey has asked, what what is the next theme book you'd like to see after Dark Archive? Ooh. Damn. Theme, I'd like to see... Um, I'd like to see a better warfare book. I think, you know, that could include 
what a lot of people were speculating with that one art when they were releasing classes, which was like the battle master or like the strategist or mm-hmm. the, um, kind of like the marshal. I, I think that would be really fun. I think that would add a lot to campaigns to have because let's be honest, 2E is all about codified sets of rules. And so we have a couple of like troops in the in like bestiary three. We don't have enough about like how a war would actually play out, and I think that's a huge open space for an adventure, mm-hmm. right? An adventure containing warfare or even like the naval stuff to be able to do like pirate adventures and that kind of stuff. I think you can put all of that stuff into a book and have some really flavorful archetypes and even a couple of player option classes that revolve around that kind of thing. That's really, really good. I'm going to say if we're sticking with something like Book of the Dead... Give me Book of the Fae, baby. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I that's... thought it was like Dark Archive, which oh, is like, sure. that's the occulty book. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, the question was just, what's the next theme? Yeah, so it doesn't yeah. really matter. I, th- I think Book of the Fae, you can do something like Book of the Dead, where you do have character options, ancestries, heritages, all sorts of different cool stuff. You can do a giant bestiaries worth of creatures. Can we get a first world AP? Yeah. Please. Amen. I was Please. just about to say we will play a that massive for, section about mm. the first world. We will Please. play that for HLP season two if a, if a fucking first world adventure comes out. That would be dope. In a heartbeat. I think I think there's a couple things that I'm a little bit more interested in personally. Like, man, I would love like a hell book or man, I would love a pirate book or something. But I just don't see you making a big old hardcover out of that. If you're going to make something juicy that's relevant for like everybody, do a book of the first world and I know it's going to be good. Yeah, I, I I would have such a joy playing Trixie Fay mm-hmm. for the entire, for all of my NPCs. Hell yeah. <laughs> Centaur Ancestry when? With book of the Fay. It would be yeah. so cool. All right. We already got Sprite. Now we need Pepsi Ancestry. Okay, that was that suck. (laughs) (laughs) It's real rare when we get a that suck from Haley on a Griff joke. Usually that's a me joke. (laughs) All right. I think we have a one final question we want to hit. We do. Um, and it's totally off topic. Which so I usually like to leave that one for last. So Nathaniel, aka Blarter Days, um, (laughs) has asked what is the best thing to do when you don't have internet besides opening and tasting all the bottles in your fridge you've been saving for when you move out Mm. (laughs) i like a fire i think a fire is a good uh, i mean working out's great for no internet if you have the you know if you have the stuff around you that's a Mm -hmm. good time suck not needing to be on your phone or anything but i think i think a fire pit as long as you're with other people and sometimes when you're not sometimes it's nice to just kind of like chill and look at a fire sure I think that's one of the better ways to spend time without internet. so let's say hypothetically you are in an apartment though oh well that's easy touch grass go touch grass <laughs> yes Nathaniel go touch grass uh, this has happened to me many times being an apartment dweller there's a couple things that I'd like to do and they all depend on the weather right so if it's kind of nice out Go to the woods, baby. Go walk around. Throw some headphones in. Listen to a podcast. Oh, or... How are you listening to a podcast without the internet, Steve? You fucking download them. No, he has no internet. None. You That's don't have down- like 40 episodes of a podcast downloaded? Get out of here. No, God stuff. no. I do. We stream, baby. Um, but okay. you need internet to download. Anyways, continue. Then listen to music. Fine. Internet. You don't download songs? Damn. 
you have to have internet to download, Steve. Yeah, do that when you have internet. <laughs> you need to be ready for this type of stuff. You can't just be living hand to mouth all day, every day. Sometimes, sometimes could go. You could also out. read books. Yeah, read a book. Great answer. If it's really shitty out, go to the movies. I've done that a few times. If it's real nice out and you live in an apartment, go to the pool. That's a good time. Yeah. Probably, I think yeah. Those are probably all the good answers that I have. Yeah. Read books, draw, deep clean your um, apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Anyways. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the questions for today. It's time for the plug section of this. So I don't remember when this comes out, but we're going to have a big old meetup at PaizoCon. This is Thursday, the 26th of May through Sunday, the 29th of May. Not the meetup. That's well, not the meetup. Well, I mean, if you're at PaizoCon, whole damn convention's a meetup. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll just walk around <laughs> with you. Yeah, so look I got for, nothing better to do. Look for people in HLP t-shirts. We're going to be wearing them all weekend long. That's Griff, myself, Chris, and our buddy Eric. We're all going to be there. Very, very excited. Bring a bathing suit. Bring a bathing suit for the HL pool party, which is going to happen. They do have a hot tub as well, so if it's shitty out, I'm going in the hot tub. But... The meetup itself is going to be Saturday, the 28th at Future Primitive Brewing at 7 p.m. We're all going to be there. There will be an after party. We're just going to keep going until they tell us to go home. So I would like to see as many of you there as possible because it'll be fun. We got a lot of fun activities planned. It's going to be a good time. Come check it out. It's going to be good. Yeah. Maybe we'll get the Amiri poster this year. I think this year's the year. This year might be the year. It's the year. This year we're partners. We can we can walk off and be like, hey, sorry. That's not what that means. Official Paizo business. Again, yeah. that's that's not what partner means. I'm gonna partner walk. means I'm gonna I'm gonna partner up with you as you help me team lift this Amiri poster into my room. It's gonna be my carry on to go home. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they call us the carry on crowns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you redeemed yourself. That's pretty good. Uh Haley, what do you got for a final jab? Oh, so you're going to bang a CR-16? Bruh, you can't even handle a CR-1 ghoul. Well, on that note. <laughs> and of course that came from Corey, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that came I from thought. Corey. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, we're wrapping this program up. For those of you who are joining with us live, thank you so much. I always love doing these. And now I can see the chat. So see all the ridiculous stuff you guys say the entire time. We are going to be heading over to the Drunken Discordly channel for the after party. But y'all succeeded some will saves. So, Griffin, what do they got to do? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later.